Vincent Kennedy McMahon Jr. would take over the WWF from his father and become one of the biggest wrestling slash business mongrels of the modern era. How did Vince McMahon take a small territorial company that his father had made and build it into the biggest wrestling empire of all time? I have to give Vince some credit uh, throughout the years, whether it's the golden era to the add to era to the ruthless aggression era, and then finally to the PG era. It takes balls the size of grapefruits for you to change your product, know when to change it, and to give us good content throughout the years. You know, maybe the last few years, it's been a little rough when he was fully in charge of creative. But we have to give Vince a lot of credit. Without him and a lot of his team and his writing team, uh, we would have some of the moments we have today. For sure, Vince McMahon has a keen eye for is creating WWF, WWE superstars. He would put all of his stock in certain individuals like John Cena, The Rock, Undertaker, Hogan, Roman Reigns, they were all Vince McMahon guys. Vince would put everything onto those individuals, and everybody else would be their support. The wrestlers that Vince McMahon really got over character-wise and guys that he made larger-than-life wrestlers, uh, The Undertaker, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, um... Got Attitude Era, John Cena, Batista, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. How uh, many? Not many uh, large and life stars today. Uh, but Vince McMahon has created a whole list of uh, large and life stars that became big money making stars for WWE and somehow uh, stock in WWE, like The Undertaker. Uh, and some guys who got themselves over by themselves. Uh, didn't get that same treatment because it wasn't supposed to be someone like Dolph Ziggler, Rusev, uh, uh, Matt Cardona, and known as Zack Ryder in WWE. But there was one person that comes to mind that uh, got over by themselves, but actually succeeded, and that was CM Punk. Uh, he uh, went through a lot of phases in WWE. He went through the uh, Ruthless Aggression era. Like the, towards the end of it, and then he he was in WWE. He was in WWE when once they went corporate and they started. It wasn't really a wrestling company. Well, it was still a wrestling company, but it was more corporate than anything. Uh, but CM Punk went through all those phases, and he somehow, some way, got himself over. Uh, Man, like the pipe bomb is what got him over big time. That elevated him to a whole other level. But it's only so, so, certain guys that's done that. Uh, L.A. Knight's current, currently doing that right now. He hasn't had, some, he hasn't had some, something like the pipe bomb, but he's uh, getting himself over by himself. Uh, but I mean, it's not large now. So, uh, but we talk about this man. There's a lot of guys like uh, Rusev, Dolph Ziggler, Matt Cardona. Uh, there's more and more I can name off. Uh, I know one that comes to mind. Uh, Mason Ryan, I believe his name was. He was uh, an ex-Batista, but uh, they never really uh, wanted him to get over. But uh, yeah, that's my uh, take on that. And an eye for talent.
If you were a Vince guy, you got the championships, the million-dollar contracts, and so much more. Now, if you got yourself over, fortunately like Zack Ryder did, you would find yourself being buried because the chairman simply didn't like that it wasn't his idea that got over. Poor Zack Ryder would be embarrassed and buried in front of TV, taking him years to get fired and then end up on the independent scene to rejuvenize his career. If Vince saw that you got over, you would be severely punished and could find yourself being future endeavored. Oh, what's going on, everybody? It's Tank Diggs from AEZ Canada. I wanted to chat a little bit about um, our good buddy, Mr. McMahon, Vinnie Mac, Vinnie, Vinnie, Vinnie Mac, and how petty he can be when it comes to pushing talent, certain talent, specifically talent that has done what the job requires, what his company has asked, and what every wrestler strives for, which is to get over. And if you weren't specifically hand-chosen by Vinny himself, the chances of you seeing the main event are slim to none. Some of my favorite runs was Dolph Ziggler getting the Money in the Bank briefcase with AJ as his valet and Biggie as his heater. His best work of his entire career. The pop when he won the Money in the Bank was incredible. And when he, sorry, when he won the belt was even more incredible. And we didn't get to see what happens when that character got fully developed and had an actual run. Because he was not one of Vince's golden boys. Another one is presently showing what he can do when he's not in the WWE system, although he is running around the Indies, the king of the Indies. They called him Zack Ryder. We know him as Matt Cardona. Taught everybody how to get over without TV time using YouTube. What a run he had, and he unfortunately had to get stopped, had to get brutally treated, had to get his woman stolen from him, his leg broken, and thrown off a stage by Super Cena because Cena is a Vince guy and Zach ain't. So, in a world where you're supposed to be getting over, be careful where and how you get over because. Vince is coming for you, whether you like it or not. How did Vince become one of the biggest wrestling personalities in the industry? Let's take you back to November 1997 to the infamous Montreal Screwjob. Before the Screwjob happened, Vince McMahon just wanted to be a commentator. He didn't want to be known as the owner of the WWF. 
But as soon as the screw job happened and kayfabe died, Vince had to come out and say he was the owner. Fans were legit turning on him, and he would run with it, becoming the biggest heel in professional wrestling. But why was the Montreal screw job so significant in shaping of the WWE? Now, you want to talk about the Montreal screw job. Now, see, this is interesting because I remember actually, you know, watching this as a kid. Uh, I mean, yeah, I kind of date myself. But yeah, I mean, I was pretty much there, not, not in the building, but I was there. And watching it as a kid, I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. I didn't know the inner workings of the business. And I'm not going to say that I know everything about the business. But I think uh, as I got older and I did more research on the whole thing, it's a, it's a very fascinating, fascinating story. And the, and the bigger story is behind the scenes, really, of the screw job. Now, me personally, if I owned a company and my top guy was going to go to my competition, uh, I'm not going to go with, with you know, the, t- the title that I own. I'm not just going to let him walk away. So did Brett get screwed? Yes, he totally got screwed over. I mean, that's that's just, you know, a given. He he completely got screwed over. So what? You know, he, he, you know, he, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I've I've never been the biggest of Bret Hart fan. But at that time, I was not really a big Bret Hart fan, of course. Uh, I was more of a Shawn Michaels fan, really. But um. You know, it's just a clear-cut case of, you know, know, in my opinion, at the time, Brett thought that he was more important than than the title in in, in the company. He thought it was, like, all about him and uh, to to, to an extent. And, I mean, look at it like this. You know, to me, this is how... The this is when the Mr. McMahon character, you know, was born. In my opinion, when Bret Hart spit in his face and Bret, and, and Vince wiped it off of his face, I think that was like the moment that the Mr. McMahon character was born. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Mr. McMahon is probably one of the the coolest heels heel characters ever in wrestling. I mean, because who hasn't been there in their life? You know, anybody who's ever worked a day in their life, you know, who hasn't been there and they had a, you know, you know, some jackass for a boss that, you know, you just wanted to tell them to take the job and shove it. You know, who hasn't one time had a boss that they just wanted to punch in the face one good time? I mean, anybody who's worked a day in their life has been through that. I know I have. So it was relatable. It was totally relatable. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the things that came out of the screw job was, I think, the Mr. McMahon character. One of the cool things that came out of the screw job. And in my opinion, I think that Brett should have just did business. You know, Brett wanted to wanted to hold on to the title and then drop it the next night on Raw. That was his idea. But of course, you know, Vince and Jim and Vince Russo and all of them had a different idea. Uh, of course. Triple H famously said, if he doesn't want to do business, do business for him. And, uh, you know, and yeah, I mean, Vince, he got he got punched in the face one good time. 
And I mean, come on, he had it coming, sure. He screwed over Brett. But at the same time, I mean, it's business. You know, he, you know, you're not gonna let your your competition have your title. I mean, think about that. I mean, and and that's you know, and, to, and a lot of people to this day still, still, you know, have their opinions on that as far as like, you know, yeah, Brett got screwed over. It wasn't fair. True enough, but come on, man. I mean, this is the business. You know, and that's one thing you have to understand that it was all about business. It wasn't, I don't think it was ever anything personal towards Bret Hart. It was all about the business, keeping that belt in the company. And I mean, yeah, he got screwed. Get over it, deal with it, you know. <laughs> but that's my opinion on that. In 2022, Vince McMahon would be asked to step down from the WWE. Relations with one of Vince's employees would come to light. And coming out of the WWE bank account, Vince would pay off the former employee that he had sexual relations with. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to uh, All Elite Zone's Dark Side uh, episode on Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I myself... And Adam Glexy, the bearded wonder. I'm so happy to be back with you guys. Uh, it's been a while. Um, I, I had to take a mental break, but now I'm back because I missed you guys so much. I missed the whole team. Um, and of course, joining me, I'm going to try to do my best impression. Joining <laughs> me in my tag team partner right now, uh, the man who would fight fire, uh, <laughs> Mr. Lane Dustin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the wonderful introduction. It's so great uh, to have my Bubba Ray Dudley to my Devon Dudley, my Triple H to my Shawn Michaels, my Jim Advil to my Bret Hart. We have, you know, I, it's so great to have you back, man. I missed you so much. Like, it wasn't talking elite the same without you. I, I promise you that. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you letting me do the intro tonight uh, after the video package, which, by the way, uh, hats off to Connor, uh, does wonderful work yes. editing that off, and I'm, I'm just so happy for him. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so I'm happy to be back and talk about this yeah. topic, because this is the almost the end game of all pro wrestling, is this, is this topic. And, you know, it's just crazy how much, you know, Vince has done in his career, there's a lot of great things, a lot of bad things. Um, and it's just it's just wild to me that this man, it doesn't seem like he's real. It just seems like he is the Vincent Kennedy McMahon character you see on TV. Like, he, like, I don't know, did he just become his character over time? Like, once he started getting that money and power, like, you know, we saw after the screw job? Or did, or was it just something that he just started, like, he just was blurring lines so much that he forgot who the real Vince McMahon was. I I mean, honestly, it, it all stems from the beginning of it. I mean, if you're going to talk about Vincent Kennedy McMahon today, you got to go to Vincent Kennedy McMahon before. And that's when he's working in his father's promotion. Back when his father, Vince Sr., was running the WWF. And it became the WWF. You know, it, it was basically Vince buying out his father. I feel at that moment was the key moment that the real Vince McMahon kind of started taking over as far as, you know what? 
if I can buy this company from my dad and turn this into something, I can make a ton of money uh, and I can change the face of professional wrestling. And that's what he did. And I feel that's where it all started is when he first bought uh, the company in 1982 from his father. Um, so I, that's that's as far back as you have to go um, to actually know the real Vince McMahon. Well, and it's crazy to look at, too, because, you know, he literally killed the territories. We would still have the, like I said, because think about it. He took wrestling and just blew it up to where it became a sports entertainment as we know it today. But it's crazy to see, you know, you had, of course, a few wrestling promotions that were doing the arena shows or they joining up. But really, Vince really stepped it up and had those giant, you know, those giant stadium shows with WrestleMania. It's crazy to see how much of a vision came through and to see where it is now. Yeah, and it all stems back to probably one of the oldest wrestling uh, companies, well, not companies, but organization in, in, in the States, and that's the NWA. Um, the NWA is pretty much the the grandfather of professional wrestling, you know, um, and, and basically Vince was co-working with them. And what had happened was once Vince bought the company back in 1982, like I said, he had a different vision of what the sport could become. So to try to change that, he kind of took it, he kind of kind of like broke away from NWA tradition and all that stuff. Um, and basically just changed everything about professional wrestling for him. It wasn't about, Hey, look at these holds, look at these moves that these guys are doing in the ring. It's about character driven and getting the audience invested. That was Vince McMahon's vision was character driven, um, professional wrestling. And I think that's where we saw it. Uh, Lane, you are muted. I cannot hear you, sir. My apologies. I, I have a little button on my mic, my uh, mic up here that I accidentally hit. Um, anyways, yeah, it's crazy to see like how, like just how many like larger than life like talents did he bring in? Looking at someone like a Hogan, a Macho Man, a Warrior, and having some of the biggest personalities really like like bring people to your company. You know, I know we talked about Hogan last week, but think about it. I don't think Hogan would be as over as he was in the territories as he was in WWF. No, I don't think so. And and if you look at uh, Terry, we'll call him Terry. It's Terry. Terry. Yeah, yeah, Terry. Uh, If you look at him, when he started out in AWA, he he was nothing like the Hogan character that Vince McMahon had brought him in to become. Um, He was, he was this chiseled guy but he was more of like a, a bodybuilder type prototype for the AWA. They brought him in as like a like a, a muscle beach kind of looking guy where, you know, hey, this guy's strong and big, blonde hair. He's from California, you know. And yeah. Vince brings him in. He goes, that's an American hero right there. We can turn him into America's hero in professional wrestling. Like, that's what I want. Someone chiseled like that, the blonde hair. That's, that's America's wrestler right there i'm gonna take that and so you know and that relationship in general i'm sure we'll get to it but that relationship in general spans decades of ups downs twists turns and and controversy but you know like i said it's all character driven and hulk hogan was basically the the clay that that broke the mold uh of character driven uh wrestlers in wwe's uh wwf's early days 
You know, I think that was something that was a huge, huge way to have someone like Hulk Hogan. Because even if you weren't a wrestling fan, like I said last week in our intro video, you know, I didn't know who Hulk Hogan was because I wasn't a wrestling fan. But I knew him because I had a toy figure of him. You know, people knew him, John Cena, The Rock, Stone Cold. I would even say Undertaker. You know, you or even Roman Reigns. You can throw Roman Reigns in there. <clears throat> people love those guys. You know, Vince literally gave him the whole company and built his company around those select few. You know, there was also a few good champions in there, like Bret Hart. You know, your Bretts, your um, like your CM Punks, the ones that weren't that mold of a John Cena or you know, or a you know Stone Cold, but they were you know they were you know had such good wrestling and good chemistry with the crowd. But there was just something special that Vince would do when you knew, hey, he was a Vince guy. You know. He was the main guy in the company. Do you know if you know, was there any wrestler that you thought could have fit that Vince mold? There, there was plenty of them. Uh, news, news, rumors, uh, uh, reports from other wrestlers, uh, people that work in the industry had this idea that Vince prototype is big and muscular. Uh, was his prototype someone that was big, yeah. muscular, but also could could be. Uh, profitable and also uh, marketable. You know, they have to have a look to be marketable. I, I should know this. My degree is in communications. You know, I did mass yeah. media. I did bro broadcast radio. Marketing, it's this biggest thing that you need within a company. And Vince saw that in Hulk Hogan. He says, I can profit off of this. This guy is as good as he is in the ring as he is selling merch. I'm going to make a fortune off this character. And I think that's what Vince's idea was earlier in the days of early WWF in the 80s was characters that you can market to the audience, specifically kids, because that was the change of guard in the 80s was the audience changed from these old school crowds at the NWA shows of these guys like, yeah, fight them, fight even women get it. Yeah. So little kids are starting to watch it now. Little kids are starting to watch pro wrestling. And Vince knew that. And he thought, if I can profit and market someone like Hulk Hogan into not being just good in the ring and being a fan favorite, but also get a Hulk Hogan plushie for the kids to take home, be like, this is my hero. Like, that was huge. That was a huge idea that Vince took, and he just ran with it. There was a it, there was a story that I heard on uh, Chris Van Vliet's uh, podcast he just had with Hulk Hogan. Um, I love Chris Van Vliet, by the way. I, I love that guy. Yes, and I'm sitting there, and he was telling a story about how Vince, you know, how he saw him, how he pushed him, and then the first time it really made sense for him was during his when he would start having Make a Wish kids come up and saying, "Hey, like you know, I've been taking my vitamins, I've been saying my prayers, and I have been getting better." And it's crazy to think, of course, how many kids were trying to listen to their parents and say their prayers, take their vitamins, drink their milk. And then look, hearing that from a kid perspective, you know, that was when, you know, hey, like there was something special with how Hulk Hogan was presenting himself to you know hit the company. You know, as I talked last week, you know, he wasn't the best person in real life, but, you know, but he sure was inspiring probably a whole bunch of kids. And even a lot of the next generation of WWE superstars. Yeah, no, um, and that's the greatest thing is it's it, it's the talk of evolution, you know. It's the talk of of uh, the next big thing in pro wrestling. Um, what what can a wrestling company do to stand out? 
what can a wrestling company do to kind of change the trajectory of people's views and people's desires with pro wrestling? And 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 pretty much Vince, like I said, was the godfather of that. You know, he 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 saw the trajectory of the crowd, of what the crowd was growing to be in the eighties, early nineties. You know, it was a lot, and, and you saw it a little bit later on when they went back to the PG era with a lot of kids. But that's what the crowd was in the er, the mid eighties to the early nineties. It was all kids. It was these kids with their parents taking them to wrestling shows and. And at like shows like the first WrestleMania that Vince did, which was a huge, huge gamble that paid off tremendously well because he got all the right guys from every territory. That was a big thing, too. But and it goes back to your, your thing of saying, you know, leave an impression for future wrestlers. I mean, I don't think we get the wrestlers in the 90s with their character driven and their storylines if we didn't have Vince McMahon's ideas of character driven storylines in the mid to late eighties. No, very true. You know, and looking at how many people like really fleshed out their characters and started doing that more, especially with the attitude era, you know, I'm not trying to uh, jump ahead a little bit here, uh, but let me, you know, since I've just thought about this subject, um, if there wasn't a huge competition with WCW, do you think WWF would have still been PG all the way up through? Do you think they could have kept it going to, with PG? Or did something have to change with how kids grew up and how, you know, raw 90s are, especially with shows like Jackass, you know, being a huge mainstream, you know, for mainstream audiences and skateboarding and America's Funniest Home Videos. But do you think the WWF could have kept going like they were in the golden era? Or do you think they had to change with the times? You know what? That's a really good question. I never think about that question um, because pro wrestling has been around for so long that you kind of knew that there was still another small organization, if not another organization of pro wrestling. So it's like if something didn't really stick with you with one program of pro wrestling, you'd go to another one, Um, which was very hard because not a lot of people – got to watch pro wrestling on TV. You know, the only thing that was dominating TV back in the early 90s, mid-90s during that Monday Night War were WWF and WCW. Well, let's think of it this way. WCW also kind of expanded from the NWA and the AW. They also had the expansion from small territories, and they took a shot at it, you know, and for some reason it stuck, and it was just a spark. You know, now had they not and WWF was still going on, I think Vince was such a smart enough business guy and smart enough to know the audience that if the audience started changing, his product needed to change. Um, Again, that's a marketing thing. Um, If you're gearing towards kids at five years old, 10 years when they're 15 and their interests are changed to something more mature. Vince is going to go, well, now I got to mature my product a little more. Now I got to start bringing beautiful women half dressed to get these teenage boys interested. You know, it's, you look at it from also a viewpoint. I love bringing in a lot of pop culture references to a lot of things. You got to look at it from also movies, you know, think of it as uh, one of my favorite documentaries that's out there. If anybody watches horror movies, I'm a big nightmare on Elm street fan. There's a documentary series called uh, Never Sleep Again. It covers the entire Nightmare series. Between Nightmare 1 and Nightmare 5, that entire, like, 
audience changed within those that, that those years. You know, when uh, Nightmare One, you had all the teens, but now Nightmare Five comes around, and all those teens are growing up to be adults and having kids and having serious, you know, um, things in life happening. So the script for Nightmare Five completely changed to cater to those fans that that were teens during Nightmare One. So that goes with pro wrestling as well, where if Vince saw the change in his audience from like let's say 1988, 89, you saw the little kids, maybe 10 year or eight years old, you jump ahead to six years, seven years later in the mid 90s, where they're all 15, 16 years old, they're gonna have different interests. And he's got to adapt to that. So I do think Vince would have adapted uh, to the audience and the change of time had WCW not jumped into the fold. Yeah, I think we would. I think I think you're right on that one because I think a lot of teens and especially like the early, like you know, maybe preteens a little bit too. You know, they wanted to see more like because they know like people like Doink and some like the more like there was of course over life character over you know you know, bigger than life characters that people would gravitate towards, you know, during that weird time frame in between the Monday Night Wars and the Golden Era. But think about it. A lot more people were starting to switch over to WCW because it was given it was given a really great product, great wrestling, but the storylines and the characters felt more genuine and more realistic. I think Vince had to and Vince had to bring in some like Vince Russo and Cornette to be on his team to make it more, you know, make it more aggressive. No, and I totally agree. And again, television was changing as well in the 90s. Uh, you know, 80s 80s was all about the family sitcoms, uh, like the early 80s sitcoms. 90s were more serious family shows. You had shows come on that were serious. Shows like Party of Five. Uh, you you know, you had uh, 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 90210, Beverly Hills 90210. And it's funny because most of the audience that watched some of the wrestling in the eighties that liked the characters grew up in the nineties and they related to these TV characters, but then they also had reality shows come in in the nineties and the reality shows came in in the nineties and people just flip. They're like, this is something new. We've never seen it before. And it's, and it's something that was integrated in pro wrestling. I, I'd like to say Vince Russo was the mastermind behind uh, integrating this style into wrestling, but crash TV. Crash TV being introduced into pro wrestling is kind of like when peanut butter and chocolate meet <laughs> and create Reese's, yeah. you know, and, and that's it. That's what, you know, the crash TV was in the nineties. It changed. And with every style that changed in pro wrestling with WCW and even ECW coming into this, Vince saw these two companies and thought, Hmm, if I'm going to keep evolving, I need to see what these two companies are doing to see what I can change. Unfortunately, he didn't change a thing. He just adapted what those companies are doing it, but he exploded it bigger and made it brighter in front of a larger audience that might not have been watching ECW because they had no network or WCW because they had a smaller uh, crowd, you know, a smaller kind of like following, you know, sure. They beat WWE for 92 weeks, but, there was a change in the wind from those 92 weeks that Vince said, I need to do something where I'm number one again, and I'm going to start neat picking from both these companies, but I'm just going to make it bigger and more spotty, you know, and, and that's pretty much what happened. 
it's crazy. Yeah, you know, it's crazy to think that you know because the Attitude Era, like we had so many great moments come out of that, and to look at Stone Cold, The Rock, you know, you had you had just so much going on. You had, of course, the infamous Mick Foley get thrown off of Hell in a Cell. You know, you had the rise of the Undertaker during that time frame. So Vince, Vince knew how to cook, especially in the '90s. He knew, you know, he. Outright admits, you know, he plagiarized a lot of WCW and ECW topics and even picked, you know, handpicked their talent that maybe they weren't getting over or maybe that they, you know, they knew the company could have couldn't afford, especially like, like I said, like the Dudley Boys or a Jericho, a, you know, a Eddie Guerrero. You know, there's a lot of people that he would pluck here and there. And like you said, he had the money, he had the budget and he had the production. So of course he's going to make the, some of the biggest TV possible. Yeah, and I, and I honestly think that all started and, and Mr. Jacobs hit it right on the nose in the pack video package to start. It was the Montreal Screwjob. Is when that attitude error started. It started pretty much. It was a new error. It was basically the same year, a year later from the infamous Austin three sixteen speech at King of the Ring. Um, because that's when the Austin 316 era began was 96. I think it was the, the King of the Ring when he won it. It's either 96 or 97. And that's what kicked it off. And then the Montreal Screwjob happened after that. And so that became the Attitude Era. And that's where Crash TV really took off for WWF and under Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon saw it. And even then, Vince McMahon was forefront of it even though he didn't want to be but but like mr jacob said his hands were tied from that whole situation between uh bret hart wcw uh and the wwf title um he didn't want what happened when alondra blaze went over to wcw and tossed the garbage in track he didn't want to see you know when other you know wrestlers from wwf like kevin nash scott hall they all left went over to wcw he didn't want to see that so he did what he did, and it blew his character in front of the whole screen because at that time, everybody was like, isn't that the commentator, Vince McMahon? And it just switched like, oh, he owns the company. And so I think that's where you look at the Attitude Era, and a whole new audience just was gained from the WWF uh, to the WWF. So um, I, I honestly – the, the Attitude Era, for me, was my favorite era. I think that's when Vince did some of his best work, not even behind the scenes as the owner and CEO, but as an on-screen character. You know, it, it's crazy to see, like, how he basically took lemons and made lemonade out of a bad situation. You know, a lot of people have, you know, especially nowadays with uh, Scott Hall, uh, his interview that he did for Dark Side of the Ring, when they did the episode saying that it was a work that Brett was in on it, but it was the only feasible idea. You know, now a lot of people are speculating, was it a work or, or was it a shoot? Um, Adam, real quick before we kind of shift gears into uh, talking about another really bad part of Vince's uh, career. Um, what is your thoughts on it? Do you think it was, do you think they had to do it on like on a shoot wise for, towards Brett or do you think it could have been a work? I think it I think it was a shoot. I, I honestly think to this day that it was literally Vince McMahon's ego. Uh Brett 
I, I know a lot of people saying Brett didn't want to do business and he did it the wrong way. I honestly see where Brett was coming from because as, as many stories come out of it, you read that Brett didn't want to lose the title uh, in Canada, his hometown. He didn't want to lose in front of the hometown. He was okay with losing it the next night. He was fine with that because it was in Canada. They were, I think they were going to be in like New York or something or the East Coast on a Monday Night Raw. And he was fine doing that. But Vince, Vince's way, he's like, no, uh, Sean's going to be our next guy. We got to figure out a way um, uh, uh, to, to do it. Uh, and honestly, I think, I think with Brett going to WCW, that also pissed Vince off um, because he remembers all those guys that jumped ship to WCW and he felt he doesn't want that, especially someone that's his, his company's face, his champion. Um, so I believe behind, I still to this day believe behind closed doors and especially from that episode of Dark Side of the Ring, the way Earl Hebner describes it, him, Sean and Vince came up with the ending without Brett's uh, um, knowledge of it. So I honestly think they they did it without Brett's knowledge. Um, it's a terrible situation for all involved, honestly. Um, but I'm glad these years later, decades later, that, you know, episode of Raw came on that, you know, Brett and Sean made up, you know, and Earl uh, Hebner, I'm sure, I think made amends with Brett for that. And heck, even Vince, uh, to, to even shutting him uh cutting him down with his big ego he actually manned up and probably apologized to brett or it could have been like dude we can get you back on tv we can make money i you never know with vince with vince's ego i think it's just his ego and his like self-conscious just battling constantly (laughs) well it's crazy because that time like that was when he had to literally go from being one of the boys and really into Really, like, a, like he had he had to put his foot down a lot of situations. So I can't really blame him for doing what he did to Brett. Um, and like I said, and I get the things with Shawn Michaels and how unprofessional he was. So I get where Brett's coming from. But this is also the wrestling business. And like a lot of wrestlers said, when it's time for you to leave the territory, you need to do the job. You're getting paid to do it no matter what. So you need to do the job. And unless maybe if it was like set in stone in his contract, which I don't think it was. You know, you had to, like I said, he sh- Brett should have done the job. Yeah, no, and I, you know, and that's and that's why I say it's a bad situation amongst everybody. You know, you watch that Dark Side of the Ring episode where they interview Earl, and he said he literally did it, left the ring, got in a car, and left because he felt that terrible of doing that to Brett. Because, uh, like, before that match even happened, him and Brett were backstage, and. Brett was talking to him about the match saying, we're good. We're good. Right. Like this, this is good. Right. And Earl said, yeah, no, we're good. We're good. You know, like, and it's, and it hurt his feelings for doing that to Brett. Um, I think today now, even Shawn Michaels probably deep down inside says that was probably the dumbest thing we could have done. We could have done it more professionally. Um, I shouldn't have been involved in it because a lot of people don't know this, but if people watched the documentary about Shawn Michaels uh, the uh, during the um, Re- Ruthless Aggression documentary on Peacock, they did one on Shawn, and he said when he was a born again, you know, kind of like like religion guy, he looked back at all his past mistakes and he said that one was a big one, was the Montreal screw job, and that he wished he didn't do it. 
it's 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 wild, man. All right, well, let's go to the comment section before we start talking about the steroid trial. That's the other. That was like the number two big moment in Vince's career that yeah. we kind of kind of frowned upon. Um, let's see here, uh, Davis. Thank you uh, so much for all your love and support. It's it's good to have Adam back. Uh, so it's good to see that. Um, we have, of course, we have Devin. Uh, he is uh, joining us, a new subscriber. So we appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much for checking our podcast out. Hope you enjoyed the interview last night. I know I sure did. Um, Adam had a lot of fun last night talking to the oh, Pope yeah. himself. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Elijah Burke, nicest guy in the world. Um, in that video, by the way, if you guys want, he did mention that uh, he does a uh, project down in uh, Florida, in Jacksonville, right in his backyard. It's feeding homeless people. Um, in that video from last night, there are links to it. So if anybody wants to oh, go cool. and donate, they can they can definitely go and donate to that because it's a really cool cause. Well, that's awesome. I'll have to check that out for sure. All right. Um, <laughs> Gordon, if you want to know Mr. Jacob's thoughts, uh, go watch our last week episode because it was just a complete giant shoot on Hulk Hogan fest. And <laughs> it was it was one of the funnest ones we've done for sure. At least with all the jokes. Let's see. Um, going back to kind of our topic, or going back to kind of Vince's stuff, uh, Mike says a lot of stuff probably won't have happened without Vince. I know he's not liked, but the IWC, um, but wrestling. I think it means been, yeah. What is I it? think he means. I think he means. I know he's not liked by the IWC, but wrestling wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for him. True, you're um, not wrong, yeah. Cody. I can't read your comment on air. I do apologize, but. Uh, <laughs> But we, we all had frustrations with Vince over the years. Um, Mike has an interesting take. He, Mike says he liked the ruthless aggression a little bit better. It's fine. You know, everybody's got their taste in wh- which era of WWF, WWE they liked. And for yeah. me, I grew up on the Attitude Era. So um, Gordon also agrees that it was a shoot because Brett takes it personally even to this day. Mm. <laughs> the legit work, I feel. Yeah. Um, Devin also says, wasn't, uh, I'm guessing he went with Brett, wasn't his first appearance back at the Hall of Fame ceremony? Was that when? I believe, I don't know if I believe I was that or he was GM for the night on Raw. Um, it was one of those two that his first appearance was back when they were doing the whole anonymous GM thing during the Raw thing. Yeah. And they had all these special people show up as GMs. I think maybe that was when he showed up, or it could have been the Hall of Fame. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Mike also – this is an interesting question. I'm going to pose this one to you real quick, Mr. Adam. So uh, Mike says, what do you guys feel was worse, the screw job or Bash of the Beach 2000? Funny how that both involved a Vince. <laughs> Actually, they both bro. involved Vince Russo. Bro. bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how many times Elijah Brooks had <laughs> – uh, Burke said bro last night, but I lost it. I go, he said bro like 10 times in a row uh, because he worked with Vince and TNA. So, uh, man, that's a good question. I still think the Montreal screw job was probably the worst um, just because it was that start, uh, the a big moment of breaking kayfabe um, and everything like that and kind of introduced people to a different side of pro wrestling that people don't see on TV or in the audience. Um, 
but I will say Bash at the Beach. Uh, if you've watched the Dark Side of the Ring episode on that, your views on Vince Russo may differ a little bit. Like you may like flippy floppy with Vince Russo on that because what had happened was in in summary, uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, was supposed to go. He he was supposed to actually lose the title to Booker T. That was Vince Russo's call. Vince Russo wanted to give Booker T the title as a fresh new champion in in TNA or it's a TNA in WCW. Sorry about that. Um, it's funny how they all ended up in TNA as well. Right. Uh, but um, he wanted to give the title to Booker because Booker was a fresh new face in WCW and he wanted to uh, basically a fresh new face as a singles wrestler. Um, so he wanted to give him the title. Um, but what happened was behind closed doors, uh, uh, Hogan and um uh, God, I keep forgetting his name. Eric Bischoff uh, concocted a plan to actually take the belt from Jeff Jarrett to make Hogan champion because that was Hogan's plan because Hogan was given creative, a little creative control. And in his contract, it said he had a little creative control. So he used that as leverage to try to get be a world champion again. Russo didn't like that. He wanted Booker T. So the plan was... Uh, a quick match between Jeff Jarrett and Hogan with Jarrett going over. And later that night, Jarrett putting Booker T over for the title. It changed because Bischoff and uh, Hogan didn't want the Hogan to not win the title. They, they wanted him to win the title. And that's what happened at bash of the beach. When, you know, Jarrett, you know, came out and just laid on the mat and, you know, Hogan just shot on Vince Russo. Um, it could have been done there. But according to the documentary, Russo's like, I had to go out and talk. Uh, was it a smart idea? Probably not. But Vince Russo and did a shoot on, on live t- on live pay-per-view on Hogan, saying you won't see that piece of S in this place ever again. Um, and that night, they followed through with what they did was Booker T actually beat Jeff Jarrett and won the title <laughs> so it still ended up that way but but i feel like that was probably the biggest spit on the face of fans like so at least with the you know at least with the screw job at least they were able to make money in that into a storyline because <clears throat> really bash the beach 2000 was really the one of the biggest nails in the coffin for wcw all that and uh, now that i give him his his flowers but back then david arquette is champion that was a big fu to pro wrestling fans everywhere as well as WCW fans. True. But David Arquette, he loves the sport. He loves pro wrestling. Um, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, you have to check out the documentary. You can't kill David Arquette because he actually trains to be a pro wrestler and he looks freaking awesome doing it. So I would definitely recommend that documentary. I have given him a lot of respect because I know we talked about it in the WCW podcast. Uh, go back if you haven't already. Go back and listen to that one because that was another uh, great podcast Adam and I did together. Um, but I did give him his flowers, and I feel like he's made amends with wrestling fans. And I would, to be honest with you, <clears throat> Connor may not like this opinion, <laughs> but uh, or some of the AEW you know, people. But I think Dave Arquette should do a match in AEW. I don't know if. I- 
I think he said he's done with wrestling because if nobody knows this, but his first pro wrestling match was actually against RJ City. <laughs> uh, I believe. Yeah, I believe it was against RJ City or RJ City trained him. I think so. Um, but RJ City was involved in his first pro wrestling match and it was awesome. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if he should. Um, I'm very iffy nowadays on celebrities doing pro wrestling. Um, just because I've seen it so many times, I want something different. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the one exception, I guess you can, you can kind of question, of uh, someone famous going into pro wrestling and kind of adapting to it is, uh, Logan Paul. Um, I don't say that much. But the man looks like he loves the sport and he's actually trying to work to 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 do it more often and take it serious, you know. And so I, I got to give him his flowers because he's actually enjoying it and it's something he likes doing. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Well, I was going to say, uh, but Mike beat me to it, but mm. Bad Bunny and Logan Paul as well, they both – they, I, I give them a lot of respect. I may not like Logan Paul um, as a person, but him and Bad Bunny both took the time to train and even had people like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels teach them the right way. Yeah, and again, I was about to say that too. Bad Bunny, I, I got to give props to as well. Um, I did watch the street fight he had with, um, uh, uh, with Damien Priest. Um, very impressed with it. I... Did not expect him to take the spots that he took, um, especially the um, what was it? The Falcon Arrow off the uh, yeah. little thing onto a table. I did not expect him to do that spot, um, and he sold it well. Uh, sold it very well. All right, uh, Mister Unknown. Thank you so much for commenting. Um, the mate, the merger of a AOL and time Warner was the biggest factor in killing WCW at the end of the day. It, I feel like that and kicking Ted Turner out. I feel like that was a huge part of it. Yeah, no, I think, I think with that, um, that's also talked about on the dark side of the ring episode of the bash at the beach, uh, where Bischoff was actually about to buy WCW with his money. And he thought it was going to be a done deal. And I can't remember who called him. It was one of the executives said, uh, you know, it's done. And Eric thought, oh, the deal's done. I got it. He goes, no, dude, WCW's done. We just got bought out. Um, Vince McMahon just bought the company. <laughs> so that's another one where Vince McMahon bought the freaking company. <laughs> like Vince, I mean, that episode of Raw, I remember distinctly opening with Vince. Like I remember sitting there as a, as a young kid watching that episode and looking at Vince and he's going, uh, Hey, I bought my competition. I was like, what? I was, what? Like, I was like, because I would jump back and forth between WCW and WWF back in the day. I, I loved the Monday night wars. I grew up with that. I loved it. You know, I thought it was something new as fans of pro wrestling. And because WCW was different because they knew WWF used to pre-record a lot of shows. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the scripts would be leaked to someone um, or to, in WCW. I mean, I think the night that it changes when Mick Foley won the WWF title, and to start off to, uh, the show, Tony Siobhan goes, "Hey, I wouldn't flip over to Raw. They just gave the title to some guy named Mankind." Like, 
And everybody went, what? And they flipped the channel. And that's also what kind of screwed WCW over for the, like the 92 weeks that they were number one. <laughs> Very true. You know, it, it's crazy. Cause I can't, I don't know how true this is because when it comes to rewriting history, WWE <clears throat> is no stranger to doing that. Um, but Vince wanted to start WCW back up. He didn't want it to end. He wanted it to make its own show, just like you know WCW was. Um, do you think Vince really wanted to start a new show up, or did he want to just buy it out and cancel it? Vince, I think Vince saw it as an opportunity to really grow his company. Were there certain wrestlers in WCW that he could have saw and said, I can bring them over, make money off of them? Sure. Did a lot of them come over? No. Do you think of guys like Goldberg and Sting were two big mainstays in WCW in, in those times? Neither one of them, neither one of them wanted to come work for Vince. So they literally sat at home and waited for their contracts to expire, even after the the, the buying of WCW. They, they did not want to appear on WWE TV. They, they didn't want to work for Vince. So they sat home and they let those contracts expired. Um, and that was a big, big thing for those wrestlers that were in a midst of a long contract with WCW when it got bought out by Vince. A lot of them just didn't want to work for him or appear on WWF. Just that's how big that rivalry was. And they sat out their contracts. It took forever uh, for Vince to get people like Goldberg into the WWF. It took him forever to get Sting in the WWF. I mean, you look at when Sting debuted in WWF. It was in 2014. Yeah. Freaking 14 years after WCW, well, 14, less than 13, 14 years when WCW was bought out by Vince. So, And it's, it's crazy to think how long it took for Sting. And I know he's and now he's and now he's thriving in his 60s. <laughs> now he's, he's taking now he's taking bumps off off turnbuckles onto tables and off of balconies at 60 so, years old. It's so crazy to think that he is still going. And I feel like he was the biggest ball dropped by the WWE. Had what two big matches and that's it. Before he got hurt, two, match, two, two matches and then a turnbuckle power bomb by uh, Seth Rollins made him leave, and he had and he lost both those. So he did lose both of those. Yes, it's it's just sad. Like you have the biggest icon of professional wrestling that's not an Undertaker or a Hogan, and you do that to him. That like going back to Vince's pity, that is just very pitiful right there. Like you, it is, yeah. But how much also was it also Hunter's ego too? I know this is all speculation, um, but but how much of it was Vince and Hunter saying, "Well, hey, we this is the last big punch to knock out WCW, and hopefully the fans will forget how impactful WCW actually was to the rest that, of that that WrestleMania match with uh, Triple H and, and uh, a Sting. That was pretty much the nail in the coffin of anything WCW. Uh, because Sting was, in the later times, was a big face for WCW. He was basically it, you know, and him coming back was basically Vince. Mostly Vince. I don't know how Hunter felt about it, because at that time, Hunter, he had a leadership role in office, but he didn't have a lot of creative 
kind right. of stuff. Um, so I don't know if it was always him because at that time it was still Vince and creative. Um, Triple H was still learning a little bit of it, but um, he just, you know, it, it was basically the last hurrah of the whole, I bought WCW in 2000. This is the last match that any WCW wrestler is going to have in WWF. And then we close that chapter. You milk it for what it's worth. That's a marketing technique. Uh, <laughs> many true. movies, do, many, many movies do it too, man. I, I know there are probably some fans here, but good Lord, the fast movies can just end. Um, there is way too many fast and furious movies that I've lost track. How many there are that I'm like, this is just a cash cow that thanks. I said, this just needs to end. Like I get it. Family is the big <laughs> thing. Like I get it. Vincent or Vin, Vin Diesel family you know like it, that's why i laugh at the memes of him showing up out of nowhere and it says family you know like but but it's a, a, a milk in the cow is what vince was doing with that match um and i like that you pulled up mike's comment um because i was also going to mention that too i think it was very smart for sting to go to tna for a little bit before going to wwe you know it was smart on you know sting because sting about TNA still bring up <clears throat> everything Sting did. And think about it. every The only time he really hasn't reinvented himself was WWE. Think about it. In you know, WCW, he went from Surfer Sting, that era, with the bleach blonde cut hair, oh, to yeah. Pro Sting, and just be, being one of the best characters in professional wrestling. And then going to TNA, kind of carrying the momentum over from, you know, WCW, and then also bringing up a whole new twist to the character and bringing in Joker Sting. Yeah, and um, I'm all for Mike's comment there is that um, he had a really great team. I think his TNA run was better than his last couple of years in WCW. Um, I, I loved his his in-ring work in TNA. I, you know, I loved his feuds there. Heck, even when he stripped the makeup off and he was part of that, uh, he was part of the main event mafia. Uh, for a little bit, I think. Um, and, and like he barely wore the paint for that, but like it was awesome to see him reinvent himself in TNA. And then obviously, you guaranteed Vince called him and said, Listen, we want to get a little bit out of you in WWE. We're going to induct you in the Hall of Fame as well. Like we want to. And that was basically Vince saying, I'm going to milk your image for as long as I could. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, and um, I, I honestly, I think I think Sting now is just doing great work, um, and, and not only the pretty much the end of his career right now, but also in mentoring young wrestlers. You know, mentoring people like Darby Allen. Uh, you got to think he's also working uh, with Ar Fox. You know, he's mentoring him. You know, I guarantee you, he's being a mentor backstage to Nick Wayne, all these young guys, you know, people are walking backstage seeing sting, like all these wrestlers going young wrestlers. that are in their early to mid twenties going, that guy's a legend and I want to learn from him. And actually it's such a great experience for young wrestlers to get that advice from veterans, you know? So like I said, I think Vince putting the nail on the coffin with WCW was that WrestleMania match with triple H. You know, there was a couple times, though, where Vince would show his strength and power. But then you'd also have the first time, I feel like he was very vulnerable 
even worse than the screw job. And that would be the stairway trial. That first, that was the first time, even though it was happened before the screw job, but that was pretty much the first time that he was vulnerable. And, you know, it, it's just crazy to think that, you know, of course, you know, looking back, how would you not know these wrestlers were taking steroids? Like, but he, his, in his mind, at least from what a few documentaries said, he wanted a trusted doctor that he personally went to to get testosterone and other supplements. Might as well get it from a trusted doctor and perform, and spread and do it that way, instead of, you know, instead of having them go to a back alley doctor. Yeah, no, um, it just. It's just one of those things that it happens in every kind of sport, you know, and they try to sweep it under the rug. Um, And the fact that so many people that he trusted came out to speak against him. Um, Just Hogan, Piper, Hogan, Piper. You had all these guys. Uh, You even had uh, uh, Kevin Walzik, also known as Nails. Uh, He... uh, uh, had a violent confrontation with McMahon. Um, he actually told on the stand that McMahon had told him to get steroids so he can be bigger um, and lose the fat and all that stuff. So, you know, that's kind of where he lost his work when he didn't listen to Vince. Um, that's another thing that people look at with Vince is you're either on Vince's side or you're not. And if you're not on Vince's side, good luck finding new work because you're done here. Because if you're not following my rules here, you ain't working for my company. It's the same thing in life. You know, it's it's the same thing with everything work. You know, you don't follow the rules here at this job, we gotta let you go because you're not following the rules. But in this case, but in this case, it's rules that are dangerous to the yeah. performers. It is, it is again, I go back to what I said earlier. It is Vince McMahon's ego. And it is his conscience battling it out with the ego always winning, you know, and it's, and it's sad because you look at someone like he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of, you know, golf and a lot of crap, but Tony Khan, someone like Tony Khan gets a lot of crap, but he understands some of the safety and some of the concerns he has with his wrestlers. Um, I do think he does need to put his foot down a little more with a lot of stuff backstage uh, because a lot of stuff does get out of hand. I will agree to that. But at the same time, he's also a decent human being. Uh, He's donating to charity. You know, he just did the, the fight of the fallen recently donated the money there for uh, the fires in Hawaii. Um, So he does care, you know, and I don't think he would do anything to endanger his wrestlers. Um, uh, So, but with Vince back there, it was a different time, you know, with steroids and everything, because steroids were starting to become huge in baseball. You know, you look at someone years later, you look at, you know, someone like, uh, 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 God, what was his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, Barry Bonds. You look at his early career. He was just a skinny dude. Uh, and he wasn't crushing homers. He was, he was getting hits. He was a good player. But then you flash forward 10 years and he is bulk he is strong you're like dude there's no way you did that by just lifting and going to the gym no he way. took steroids you look at someone like mark mcguire you know earlier in his career he was he was this buff like 
like beefy redheaded batter, you know. Then you look years later and he's buff. He's got biceps just coming out of the wazoo steroids, you know. So you look at pro wrestlers and you look at some of the early times. A lot of those wrestlers back in the olden day, like the 50s and 60s, they looked like old dudes. Like they had beer bellies. They were flopping around on the mat. They were throwing you know, punches. They looked like brawlers that just left the bar and said, there's a ring. Let's go fight, <laughs> you know? And then you look at wrestlers in the eighties and nineties and they looked bigger and you thought, well, these guys are just hitting the gym. But then you realize, wait, they might be taking steroids and nobody's saying anything. Um, so the steroid trial was a huge, huge hit to Vince um, because he also lost trust in a lot of people that he thought he did like Hogan. Um, I think that's why that relationship was, like I said earlier, had its ups and downs, twists and turns. And that was the big one was the steroid trial. Um, and he didn't think Hogan would testify against him. You know, and Hogan was trying so hard. Well, in his words, in his book, he was trying so hard not to. But the thing is, is Hogan was working hurt. And for Hogan, it was almost a way to keep him at the top of his game without showing that he's hurt. It was almost like a, almost like, almost like how, almost as bad as how drug, you know, how much drugs and other pills were during that time frame as well. Yeah, no, uh, you watch a lot of the dark side of the ring episodes and you notice a lot of drugs those wrestlers would take. Um, it was Xanax, it was cocaine, marijuana. Um, although my stance on marijuana is neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, they were taking so many drugs back then and they were drinking a lot of alcohol, you know, back in the day like that, you know, they leave a show, go to a bar or strip club, drink, get women, go back to their hotel rooms. Um, the stories you hear about those times today, you really don't hear that. You know, you hear a lot of leaks about backstage incidents, but you never read anything about when wrestlers go back to hotels or when they go out and hang out. Right. You don't hear that anymore, you know. Um, you don't hear about, you know. I mean, look at back in the day, Andre the Giant would drink thirty cases of beer, you know, and ten bottles of wine, and he'd and he'd finally get drunk, you know. Like he, he would just drink so much. Um, and then you look at wrestlers today; you don't know what they're doing behind, you know, closed doors, other than you know the dirt sheets that say this is happening behind scenes. Behind the, it's like, listen. Dirt sheets didn't exist back then. Like it is very, very difficult to hear stories about what's happening behind the curtains in pro wrestling back then. You know, now you got people like Dave Meltzer and uh, you know, and people like um God, what who's the other guy? It's um the other big one. There's it's uh there's one name I'm thinking of and it's slipping my tongue right now. I can't think uh, of it, but I know who you're talking about because Ryback yeah. just did a thing with him. Yes, yes. It's the one that Ryback just hates. Um, if you guys you know, get those, comments. <laughs> yeah, if you guys know, I can't think of it, but it's Dave Meltzer and someone else. Uh, uh, but these guys are starting to be dirt sheets now. So you see all these controversy stories. It's like, well, that person's writing for that company and supports that wrestling company. That's not true. It's not true. Nobody's paying them. This is their own independent journalism. Whoever they write against and write for is on them. 
Um, you can't blame that for, for on the journal was or yeah. the journal uh, that they're writing for or the the page they're writing for. But back then, we didn't have that, so we didn't know steroids was a big thing in the early days until that trial happened. And it's you know think about it, it you know wrestlers didn't have the time to go to the gym back then, like Hogan. You know, was saying he would wrestle 400 days a year because all the time traveling he did, you know? Yeah. But jokes aside, think about it. Those guys were wrestling almost, what, every night, maybe twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. So they didn't have the time really to hit the weights, you know, and to keep that physique, they had to go and do something about it. And yeah. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised Vince didn't get asked to step down then. I think that was what the first time that Vince and like, the shareholders were getting ready to axe him out. So I think they put yeah. Linda McMahon in charge for a little bit, didn't they? I can't remember, but I do want to comment on Mr. Unknown's thing. You're right. Meltzer has been doing it for a long time, but his journalism has changed over these last couple of years. I've noticed he's been a lot of in his early day of reviews, he's been kind of in the middle of everything. He's kind of fair. But nowadays, it seems like Meltzer spills more beans negatively towards one side than the other. So I've kind of, I felt like he's kind of lost credibility over the last few years just because he's changed his 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 uh, his dirt sheet material a little bit. Um, hats off for the guy for doing it for so long. By the way, I'm not putting down people that journalists that do certain topics. God bless them; they do it for a long time. It's a it's a big job and it's a tough job to do so much i mean people lose sleep people lose you know lose time with family doing it um so hats off to them for doing it for so long but again someone like dave Meltzer, who's been doing it for so long should know dude you take a risk on flipping flopping and choosing which one to support which one to write bad stuff about it might come back and bite you on the behind from a certain fan base um but um, but that's why I don't trust Meltzer much anymore because his writing has changed so much over the last couple of years. Like, I, I don't know if it's because it comes with age and he's starting to go senile or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, I, I honestly think um, that putting Linda in charge just for a bit, just so they can get that all settled would have made sense. But again, that's Vince's ego probably wouldn't have allowed it. Very true. You know, and I, I think looking at it as we go back, just kind of before we continue on with Vince's story, but looking at how even just dirt sheets in general, like they only they only feed the fire. They're only going, they're not, they don't care about the actual wrestling or the actual wrestling company. Because at one time I liked Meltzer. I loved his thoughts and his opinions on the business. And I'm like, Okay, I like this match. Um, mm -hmm. I agree why you get five, six stars. And that's where I found some of the Japan matches. But I think as times change and as people are just so driven by hate, you know, I think they were now are just going for the clicks and the attention and just they're just bottom feeders. They're trying to get as much as they can. And then, and, and yeah, and again, that's the that's the change of pace in pro wrestling today. You know, nobody and um and even Elijah Burke said it on our interview last night. He said, you know, they're the, the end all that is all is WWE. He says, but I'm not putting down AEW. He goes that, you know, I, he, 
he's he's mentioned that he got to go there, meet some friends. He wasn't signing anything. He wasn't going to talk to fans, but he got to meet. He got to see some friends. He got to talk to Tony Khan. Thought he was a nice guy, but he still says the end all that is all is WWE. Um, but but again, it's it goes back to the whole listen. If you're going to be a writer, especially a, a journalist for a, a, a sport like pro wrestling. Um, you know, don't pick sides because you're going to get, you know, hate from one side um, and love from another, or you just might get hate from everybody um, just because they don't like the way you write about pro wrestling. Um, and Mr. Unknown, I'm going to have to look up Bill Apter uh, as a journalist uh, later on this, either after the show or this weekend, because if he's does journalism right for pro wrestling, that's the kind of journalist I want <laughs> covering yeah. pro wrestling. No, it, uh, it's like I said, it's a sad thing. And kind of like going back to you know the interview last night, you know, I think it's going to be another 10, maybe 10, 15 years. The kids are growing up now watching AEW. I think it's going to take them to say, hey, like, I want to do that. I want to be an AEW wrestler because a lot of the, and this is why WWE is still the biggest, and I love AEW, but WWE is still the biggest wrestling product out there, even though they're not because they only they consider themselves sports entertainment. Aside from Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes is the only one so far that's been able to drop wrestling, you know, in his verbiage. He's he's Cody Rhodes. I guess he can do that. So I mean, <laughs> what's happening? His contract must be yeah. able to say must, can say wrestling <laughs> can say wrestling and no stardust. No start. <laughs> no start. <laughs> but looking at it, um, but but looking at just looking at it, people, you know, a lot of the wrestlers now and still to this day, they they want to be they wanted to be a WWE superstar. You know, that's why a lot of people got into the business is because of people like the Cenas, the Rocks, the Hogans, the Stone Colds, the Takers. They wanted to be that big thing in wrestling. And they also had a few people like a Mick Foley or a Scott Hall or someone that, that they can look up to that could be a little more realistic or be more character driven that wasn't so you know shredded or a Rey Mysterio. How many people that are that are cruiserweights nowadays looked up to Rey Mysterio or a Jericho or even like a Benoit or a Guerrero, and that really helped change where it is now. So I think if AEW can stay consistent and figure out some of the drama and other stuff backstage, I think 10, 15 years, I think people, I don't think it's going to be as big all end all as WWE is, but I think they might be in the conversation. I think so too. Um, and, and it's hard because <coughs> I will say this, the, the term cruiserweight, it, it, it's so hard to bring up nowadays because anything could be considered cruiserweight now. I mean, at one point, you had Tony Nese consider himself a cruiserweight. You know, like, it's like, dude, you're like 210 pounds. How are you a cruiserweight? So now you got styles like Lucha Libre becoming a big thing in pro wrestling. And, you know, AEW is showing that to a T. Um, Vince McMahon used to do it a lot with Lucha Libre. You know, he, uh, not even Lucha Libre, but smaller guys like Ray, you know, he had guys like Takamishinoku and Rey Mysterio and uh, Psychosis and all these guys doing all their flying stuff in the rings. And, you know, he, he took a chance on that too. 
Uh, but I totally agree. But again, last night, and if anybody hasn't seen it, I, I'm just giving you out spits, bit, bits and pieces of the interview. But Elijah Burke even said that. He says what people today want. You mentioned it about guys watching AEW today later in the years saying, I want to do that. What they want is another wrestling war like we had in the 90s. You know, I chimed in last night and told, told Elijah, I said, Mr. Burke, I lived through the 90s Monday Night Wars and I loved it. I watched both because I had options to watch both. And he said, he goes, that's awesome. He goes, and I feel that's what people want today is they want that that wrestling war that's going on. What people don't know is if you don't want to choose either side, you have other promotions to watch. You have the NWA. You have Impact. You have uh, uh, a, a AAA. You have MLW. You have all these other promotions that exist. And if you're someone who's like, I don't like these big corporate pro wrestling companies like a WWE or AEW, that's fine. If you want to stick to other wrestling shows, there's other wrestling shows out there. You know, we don't have to be negative about it. Just go like what you want to watch. You know, and that's and we talked about the word tribalism. You know, and that's and that's what exists today in pro wrestling. Um, and it, it, I think it starts with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon started that thought process of tribalism because it all started when he broke away from NWA and said, "Hey, I have this new product. You're gonna watch it and you're gonna love it." You know, and people ate into it. They loved it through the 80s, through the 90s, through the early 2000s. You know, even 2010s through 2019, you had people still, you know, devoting themselves to WWE despite how bad product was because that's what they knew. That's what the that's what W that's what pro wrestling was was Vince McMahon and the WWE. Um Impact still existed, TNA existed still, but they didn't really see that. They had their favoritism towards WWE, which is fine. Just don't bash other promotions that are still doing it in a smaller market in a smaller way. They're still going. You know, look at Impact. Impact's been around since WCW was bought out, you know, and that became TNA, you know, smaller production, but still wrestlers doing good storylines and matches and titles and all that stuff. It's just on a smaller scale. Um, but, but this whole debate between products basically starts with Vince, you know, with him saying, you're going to love my product and you're going to give me money <laughs> while you're watching my product for pay-per-views and for uh, 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 toys and all this stuff. All that money's mine, and it's good stuff because I yes, got God. good ideas, you yes. know. And but you still respect the man because he had a vision and he went full throttle on it, and it paid off, uh, regardless of scandals that are happening in his life. Still <laughs> <No>, happening, <laughs> but you know, it's also crazy because I personally do not like calling professional wrestling something that's not professional wrestling. And a lot of hardcore fans like myself, I hate the word. And that's why I loved when Jericho made fun of the whole sports entertainment stuff. But I, I hated sports entertainment and some of Vince's verbiage. It's like, it does not seem natural. Like 
but I get it because you're differing yourself from, you know, like WCW and ECW were like, yeah, we're professional wrestling. But then Vince just had to have his way and like, we're caught, we're caught sports entertainment. That's what it is, pal. It's sports entertainment. Sports, it's entertainment. And then going from there and then just weird things like the championship, you can't call it a belt. You can't call it a title. You call it a title. Um, There was the uh, title. You can't say title shot. You have to say title opportunity. You can't, you couldn't say, there was times when, I think there was a time when they were like, at one point they were like, you can't say, um, I hate that guy. He said, I have huge dislike for you. I don't like you. I don't like you. And it's just like, it doesn't seem natural. Like you're not using proper English. You're just, you know, you're using stuff like you would maybe see in a novel or a very drawn out anime, you know, <laughs> that makes sense. But it's just crazy to me. Like, and I know that's not really necessarily a dark side thing for him, but man, how many fans get pissed off? Just call it wrestling. You guys are still in a ring doing moves and matches. Just call it wrestling. You know, you could say it's sports entertainment. That's fine, but it's wrestling. And I, and one thing I do agree with though is calling the fan base the, the universe. I like. I actually agree with that one verbiage. I like having the fan perspective and being part of the show and being part of the the community, the company. Like, yes, we're the WWE universe. We're with everybody. We feel something. I agree with that. And I'm, I like that. But some of the, some of his like terminologies that he's changed and verbiages, and especially if you go back and listen to like Jim Cornette or Jim Ross talk on it, and how many times those guys got in trouble because they were so used to talking about wrestling. And then when Vince changed over to the sports entertainment verbiage, it kind of made their lives miserable. And if he did, you got real heat from Vince. Yeah, and uh, uh, Vince is not – an easy approachable person, according to a lot of reports from pro wrestlers. Um, I mean, again, I'm nitpicking from the interview last night, but <laughs> Elijah Burke said, you do not touch Vince um, unless you are given permission. Um, you see what happens when you touch Vince, uh, you get in trouble. Uh, someone like uh, Titus O'Neil, who pulled him during that one episode of Raw, got in trouble. Uh, I think he was suspended for a little bit, but they didn't fire him because he's an ambassador uh, for the company and they kept yep. him. Um, so they just suspended him for it. But there is punishment if you touch Vince without his permission. So Vince is really not an easy, approachable person. But I feel like if he start, if he were to open up a little more, I feel like if he had the where all to open up a little bit to some ideas you might have seen a different product um and it might pro uh, uh sports entertainment might not even been a thing he might have stuck with pro wrestling but uh again that was vince's call to break away from traditional uh traditions like an nwa and an awa um and smoky mountain break away from those old traditionalists who called it pro wrestling, you know, they called it, you know, AWA pro wrestling. They called it the NWA pro wrestling. They always added pro wrestling. Vince's idea was this is going to be a global phenomenon. This is going to be called 
World Wrestling Entertainment, and I want to touch upon it because we kind of haven't got on it yet, but the biggest change of that was the plane ride from hell. Um, (laughs) I think was another big turning point in Vince's viewpoint of we need something fresh. Um, We don't want, not only are we getting sued by the World Wildlife Federation, but that also put a stain on our name as well. But we're also entertaining people. So let's go with World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, So they were no longer a federation or an association like an AWA or an NWA because every one of those, the pro wrestling companies had something association or federation that, that back in the day, that's what you were. You were either a federation or association. NWA is still like that. Uh, they're still, you know, national wrestling association. You look at someone, you look at impact impact kind of has broken away from the whole TNA kind of thing because yeah. that was total nonstop action, but it was also, more so you could have could have saw it as uh association because a lot of the old pro uh promotions had that uh but vince grew a global phenomenon and called it entertainment because he thought stories more stories than more wrestling would get his product to the next level unfortunately uh many fans uh like like me like you like you know connor like a lot of the people that do this podcast, we were turning to other promotions in the late 2010s because the product in WWE just wasn't doing it for us anymore because it was more of a entertainment storyline kind of stuff and not more wrestling. We wanted more wrestling with our storylines, not storylines with little wrestling. That's why we switched over to to promotions like an impact you know like an mlw like a triple a heck i watched lucha underground for a long time when i switched off wwe for a while um because there were stories to lucha but there was great freaking matches in lucha underground and you had a lot of known wrestlers in lucha underground swerve strickland was in there as kill shot you had Rey mysterio show up in an episode you had brian cage in uh lucha underground you had uh johnny nitro now johnny tv in uh lucha underground yeah you know you had chavo guerrero in there you had so many even independent wrestlers were on there a lot of people don't know this um it's pretty much independent wrestlers or in lucha that not a lot of people follow but know of so someone like jeff cobb if people don't watch Jeff Cobb matches, you you are missing out. The man is athletic, and he's a great pro wrestler. He was in Lucha Underground. Um, it, And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It it was something different from WWE, you know? And it was – there were stories to it, but there was wrestling on it. Yeah. Um, and that's what I wanted. You know, I didn't want this whole – there's a story that we're going to carry for a long time. It's like, dude, we get, it. you know, like right now, some people say the bloodline storyline is the best thing in pro wrestling today. I'm 50, 50 on it. It is a great storyline. It has, has its twists and turns. It does have a good story behind it, but at the same time, uh, this conversation is rough because a lot of people are going to argue with me about it, but you had 
Roman Reigns had the title for almost two and a half, three years, and he's only defended it less than 70, maybe 60 times within those three years. When back in the day, you had guys like Bruno San Martino, you had, you know, even Hulk Hogan, you had all these guys who were champions defended it a lot, you know. But again, that's times are changing, you know, and that's that's a Vince thing. Vince is times are changing. We're doing something different. He doesn't have to defend it all the time. That's just how Vince McMahon operates. He cha- he's got to evolve something. Um, but um, but but that's just my take on it. So you're muted again. <laughs> my apologies. I have a congestion issue right now. Uh, Mr. Unknown uh, brings up a very good point. Uh, WWF has never been about wrestling. It's a massive commercial. It's a TV show with wrestling. I I pulled an analogy. It's like I stole this from Bully Ray, so I'm giving him credit. <laughs> the WWE is like going to the circus. Okay, a lot of the wrestling fans don't really care about the wrestlers that are in that ring anymore. They may care about the Reigns the LA Knights, the Becky Lynch, the Rhea Ripley's, but they don't really, they don't care about that. They only care about the name. They're going to get entertained. A family can go to the show. Their kids can get an action figure, a t-shirt, a souvenir popcorn. And at the end of the night, they can leave happy. And that's, and, and that's now a day that, that, I mean, even as a fan, that's what AEW is doing too. Um, AEW is catering to everybody. Um, not just families, you know, uh, you look at WWE's PG era, that was, that, that was, uh, pretty much directed towards families with kids that want to watch pro wrestling again. That's Vince going back to his old eighties, early nineties phase of, Hey, these are kids. We can cater to them. They can buy the action figures, the, the replica belts, and they'll be happy. Mom and dad are going to spend their money for us, you know, but AEW is starting to do that, you know, um, that's why for me, if it is true, if AEW does sign a contract to start streaming pay-per-views, it's going to be a lot cheaper uh, and a lot easier for people to do because there's rumor going around they they may start streaming pay-per-views on Max, um, which would be great because I had Max. <laughs> you know, I'm like, great, I can watch pay-per-views and not pay $50 for it, you know, even though you should because you're helping the product. Um, and that's, I mean, I did it a lot growing up as a kid. I would go to my mom, mom, can you order this WWF pay-per-view for me, please? Cause I want to watch it. I can't tell you between 1996 and 2005, how many WWF pay-per-views I ordered <laughs> and money that most of the time I also between 2003 and 2005, when I started doing summer jobs, I saved money and paid the pay-per-views too. I would give my mom the money and she would order the pay-per-view for me because I gave her the money. Yeah. I was like, mom, here's 50 bucks. Can you order that pay-per-view? You know, but I ordered so many pay-per-views, you know, and heck, I, at one point I, when I was um, in Florida, I went to one of the local theaters uh, when they did full gear and I bought was full. No, it was revolution first, bought my uh, ticket and it was 25 bucks to go see it in the theater. And then I went and saw full gear in the theater. That was 25 bucks, you know? So it's like, it, it, it is, it's commercialism, it's marketing, it's it's making a profit. That's that's anything today. Uh, money, 
money is money and money. everybody wants more and everybody's losing it. You know, and <laughs> yeah. someone like Vince, you know, smart businessman, you know, later in life was his creative ideas good? No. no. Uh, <laughs> he started losing some creative ideas. The one thing that kind of is sticking today is again, the bloodline. It's a big storyline that's going on in WWE and people love it. Fair, fair enough, you know. Um, but it, it's just so weird to realize um, it is um, it, it's just Vince Vince's ego just will not let him let go of his baby. Um, even with the allegations against him, you know, from former employees, you know, with sexual misconduct uh, misconducts. You know, um, I didn't know if that's the next thing you were getting into. Well, I was to say, well, that's a good transition right there. So let's transition into that talking point. You know, literally, because he, I really think that he was, even when he had the allegations with, uh, was she an attorney or a lawyer? Um, well, actually, the first one actually happened in 92. Okay. Uh, uh, let me talk about, I don't know about the 92 one. Let me talk about that one real okay. quick. Okay, so the 92 one, uh, according to reports, in 92, um, a woman who was a former referee, uh, I believe she was in their early 80s. Um, she went by Rita Marie. Let me see. Uh, yeah, I got my notes here. Uh, Rita Marie. Uh, she was a referee. Uh, she made claims that Vince had persuaded her to perform sexual favors for him, um, and she refused. Uh, and uh, according to her, Vince took advantage of her. Um, and actually, another former wrestler actually uh, corroborated the story um, uh, in a 2022 interview. Um, so that was the first one that happened. Um uh, uh, there's plenty of other ones that have happened yeah. also. Uh, he was accused again in 2005, 2006 um, by a tanning bar or salon worker uh, claimed. Uh, uh, but then apparently that got missed interpreted uh because of the royal rumble that year so there was a little iffiness to it that if he was actually in that location or at the royal rumble in a different location so that kind of um was different um and then comes the big one that you talked about in the intro the hush money one uh uh of the former employee um so um yeah, and that one, that one kind of shook me a little bit because I knew Vince was a perv. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, he made Trish Stratus bark like a dog. Uh, you know, I, I under Vince, I don't <laughs> think a lot of women's wrestling got respect, uh, even though it should have. Um, I think the two that actually took it in their own hands back in the day were Lita and Trish Stratus, kind of became the forefront of, hey, those women can actually put on a decent match, you know? And uh, 
because I watched a lot of those Trish Stratus Lena matches, and even I was like, okay, okay. Um, but before that, I mean, you had people like a Mae Young and a um, uh, God, what was her name? Um, Fabulous Moolah. You know, you had Moolah, you had Mae Young. Uh, you had all these women in the early days, you know, trying to show that they can do it too, but they weren't really put on the forefront a lot. They were given their time. Um, and Mr. Unknown brought up another one, Wendy Richter, another one, fantastic. Um, but they weren't given the, 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 you know, the forefront of it or the time or respect of it, um, working under Vince. Um, in fact, you know, a lot of women's wrestling organizations kind of stem from women wanting more wrestling time. You know, you had shows, even though it was a scripted show, you still had glow, you know, back in the eighties, you know, gorgeous ladies of wrestling, but none of those women were pro wrestlers. They had to get trained um, by actually Mondo Guerrero, uh, the fame Guerrero family. Um, he trained all those women that weren't wrestlers. They were all actresses and he had to train them to get ready for a women's wrestling show. But that show kind of brought light to, oh, hey, it's the 80s. Women are wrestling now. Let's keep pushing that. And so women's wrestling kind of evolved, you know, from that. You know, it started with, you know, the Moolahs and the Mae Youngs and the Wendy Richters. Uh, under Vince, though, like, you saw more of females in manager roles, kind of like valet roles. And not a lot of women's wrestling matches. And when you did, it was very like risque matches, like bra and panty matches, and you know, uh, nightgown matches. And you know, the girls were gorgeous. And you know, uh, but you saw someone, people come in like Alita and a Tristratus, are like, dude, we got trained to, to to be wrestlers. Like, we don't mind doing the job of being a valet and being a pretty face, but we also want to get in there and scrap a little bit. You know, so it was a big deal when the one Raw that Lita and Trish actually main evented, you know, uh, in the uh, late 90s, you know, and uh, it was a huge deal. Uh, and I remember watching that going, wow, okay, cool. So women's wrestling is pretty awesome, you know, and um, so it's kind of, um, it is kind of crazy to think that all these allegations come into Vince are not shocking to some, but shocking to most. So, and <coughs> the hush money was a big thing that a lot of people thought that was it. They're like, as soon as that hush money allegation came over um, between him and John Leonidas, um and he stepped down, I thought that was it. I thought, wow, Vince actually got caught up in some, scandalous stuff and he's done you know he doesn't want to put a spot a black spot on his on his baby on the wwe but again there's the vince mcmahon ego no you fool make more money we can just step away for a bit we'll come back and make more (laughs) (laughs) i kill myself with the vince voice but we have all the shares adam (laughs) <laughs> we we just stepped down as chairman and then when Stephanie and Nick Khan they, they finally have it all we go in ha, 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 and 
we sell the WWF to the UFC parent company. And we make a shit ton of money because That's- I'm not in charge. No one in the McMahon family can be in charge. That's I basically will sell yeah. my damn company or die trying. That's that's basically what it was. It was him saying, I don't want anyone else running this and saying it was their idea. A lot of people are saying, God, some of this stuff going on now, glad we got Triple H in, in creative. Well, not really. You might have some influence from Vince because it's still his company. Yeah. Um, you know, but maybe Vince is starting to take a seat back. I mean, because who expected someone like an LA Knight who's an Eli Drake in TNA Impact, you know, to get over with the WWE audience, you know? And, you know, it's just, it's crazy to think that those allegations came out and you thought, oh my God, this is going to be it. This is where Vince McMahon is pushed aside and the company goes in a different direction. Company didn't go in a different direction. It was just Vince stepping in back uh, behind the curtain till it was all cleared, and then he came back out and he's like, "Oh no, it's fine. Uh, it's all paid off. We figured it out. Uh, yeah, let's make this deal. Let me make some more money." Um, but uh, but I'm saying right now, like the company right now, especially recently, they had a lot of cuts and a lot. A few of the names didn't surprise me. But there were two that surprised me. And I think it surprised a lot of people. Dolph Ziggler, yeah. I think, was a huge one uh, that a lot of people did not expect because he was such a journeyman. Uh, he, you know, he such a journeyman in the WWE. You know, he'd been there so long. When he started out as Nikki in the Spirit Squad, yeah. you know, and now here he is as Dolph Ziggler, you know, and teamed with, had a group with, you know, AJ Lee and freaking uh, uh, Big E, you know, and... God, you, you would have thought what would have happened if you held that World Heavyweight title longer. You know, what would have happened? Um, but even with that, now the merger, and a lot of people, when they saw the merger coming, knew they're like, this is going to probably be detrimental to WWE. Even though they're going to make a ton of money, nobody's making a lot of money but Vince. Uh, and so I think of that, I'm like, listen. Vince is going to make money no matter what because that's Vince McMahon. It, it, people know his name just because of what a global phenomenon his co- company has become from what it was. You look at it, you're like, oh, I know Vince McMahon. You talk to someone who's not even a pro wrestling fan and you go, do you know who Vince McMahon is? They go, yeah. yeah. I've, I don't know how many people I've talked to when they ask me some of my interests and I say, I like pro wrestling. They go, I never watch it. I'm a big UFC guy. I go, so you know Vince McMahon? He goes, oh, yeah, I know Vince McMahon. Yeah, I go, yeah, I grew up on that yeah. guy. That that yeah. I watched that guy become the face, the evil guy uh, in the late 90s, uh, but also build a corporation like the WWE. He goes, yeah, 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 he's making money now with uh, the merger, you know, in Denver. I was like, yeah, let's see how that works out between two companies that are two different kinds of things of sports entertainment. Because <laughs> well, you got it, yeah. ultimate fighting and you got pro wrestling under one umbrella it's going to benefit a lot of people but mostly corporate people i don't think it's going to benefit a lot of the fighters in the ufc and i don't think it's going to benefit a lot of the pro wrestlers and and, uh, the wrestlers on the rosters um when you got people being cut now making budget cuts but then you make these budget cuts and then you sign someone like jade cargill to wwe 
you know, and God bless her. Good luck to her. She's actually made to be in WWE. Um, and I'm a big fan of edge, you know, and I love edge. I've loved edge since she debuted and I'm very happy he's in AEW because this is where he wants to be with his friend Christian. You know, he wants to end his career with his friend, you know, and it finally made it happen. But he said in the interview, he goes, I have no love loss for WWE. They gave me everything. Um, and so uh, uh, with that, I'm also different on that. I'm like, y- y- you did. I hate to say it. I love AEW, but they are a step down from WWE um, because, again, WWE is the end all that is all, you know. Um, and so, but it's what he wants to do. And if he's happy doing it, let it be. I don't understand the whole anger people have and especially the IWC, you know, the internet wrestling community who <laughs> wants to bash both. Uh, it's like, oh, look at all these AEW fans that are going to bash Jay now because she's in WWE. But then the same people going, oh, look, Edge is in AEW. Oh, he's in a step down, blah. <laughs> but then you got the WWE people saying, oh, Edge went to a smaller company. Ugh, <laughs> what a what a sellout. Uh, oh, we're getting Jade Cargill. It's awesome. She's going to be a star. Like, dude, just be happy that these people are working. Like, I don't understand these people that sit at home and just type out on dirt sheets saying, ooh, yeah. It's like, dude, just enjoy the product. You don't have to like anything just or all of them. Just enjoy it. Like, just enjoy that people are doing what they love doing in, in a wrestling ring. You know, if I was younger and better shape, I would have joined pro wrestling a long time ago. You know, hell, eighth grade year when we did our yearbooks, I was voted most likely to be a pro wrestler really? because I did I did amateur wrestling when I was a kid. You know, I I did amateur wrestling twenty plus years. You know, I was a coach of it, so a lot of people thought, man, Adam would be a great pro wrestler. I was like, yeah, I would, um, but it's not the industry I want to go into. I'm going to be a fan of it, but it's not what I'm going to go into. I want yeah. something different. But looking back at it, if I had the opportunity. To, to do it, I would have, you know, because it's such a cool thing. You know, it's something that people get to do regardless if they're on the, the, the big stage like WWE or they're in a promotion like AEW who's thriving right now that nobody thought they would, you know. But that's why I like AEW, you know. It's AEW something different. It is what the Monday Night Wars could have been, Um had it been done in front of millennials. <laughs> so, uh, but that, but that's just my opinion. And so, but with Vince, man, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to think of Vince anymore. I know this whole episode we've been on Vince. Yeah. And his whole career in pro wrestling, but man, there's something about the guy. I, I don't know if it comes with the age uh, and people say, well, now he's senile. I don't know. We we don't know. I mean, how many bumps has he taken in the ring over the years that the man might have CTE? <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. He might have CTE. You know, the man has been – you look at him, you knew he was on steroids when he yeah. came out looking more bulkier than before. Um, and so you're like, there's the guy's done so much damage to his body – that it, it probably has messed with his brain cells. Like he's just, he doesn't know, you know? Um, 
and I just I just don't know. Like he built something that we just can't get rid of because it is a global phenomenon and everybody, especially people who are not W wrestling fans, knows what the WWE is. Yeah. Well, and like I said, people are so used to what Vince McMahon put out there in the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era, or even the Classic Era, where he put a few stars bigger than life, the muscles, the bigger characters. Like, look at the Hogan and Rock match from WrestleMania. You know, that is one of the biggest moments of professional wrestling. And there is a lot of better, like, at least when it comes to actual match itself. But that one, just because of the story and the characteristics. I think Vince, from the, you know, he just has that that image of what professional wrestling is. And a lot of people don't want to change that opinion because they liked it, what they had back then. So, you know, I think what, like I said, if you want wrestling to grow, I think you just got to just enjoy, you know, you don't have to enjoy every single promotion, every product, but just stop hating on what product you don't like. And there's something out there for everybody. There's independent scenes I got, you know, that where it doesn't, where it's not the corporation, like you were saying, like impact and, you know, like art what ROH was and New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's there's a lot of the great independent stuff that you can go back and watch and enjoy those moments. There's also the corporation, the big stories, the big budget production, like WWE and AEW. So there's something out there for everybody. Just we need to not be a tribe and tribalism with each company, but we need just to be a fandom and break that mold that Vince McMahon has set. Break that mold and let's enjoy wrestling as a fandom again. If you like the classic stuff, keep watching that. But don't talk bad on something that – I get you're having your opinions, but don't bash something just because you don't like it. Criticism are great, but bashing just because you don't like it and saying people like Kenny, the Bucks, or Darby shouldn't have a job and should be working at McDonald's, like there's no need for that. Or one of the, one of the guys that I am friends with on Facebook, we used to work together, he was so mad at Edge for not staying retired – and basically, oh, he's going to show up for two weeks and get hurt. I'm like, why would you say something like that? If Edge could still wrestle, let him wrestle. Same thing with Sting. Let Sting wrestle. If he wants to keep wrestling, and as long as he stays safe, okay, I get accidents happen, but if he can still go and it's not causing many issues, it's just to stop. He's okay. He's not hurting you. He's not making you, he's not coming out on stage and flipping you off every week saying, you know, screw you. He's not personally hating on your family he's just living his life and living his dream like most wrestlers are so i think it's time we break that mold and become a fandom again and stop fighting over the stupidest things on x no and i agree um and a couple of comments <laughs> i kind of i kind of kind of touch upon um i was i'm with mr unknown i i watched a lot of wcw too um and um I enjoyed a lot of it, you know, and I actually preferred a lot of it over what WWF was doing yeah. some of the time there. Um, but I had my favorite factions in both, you know, in <laughs> WCW, I was a uh, uh, NWO Wolfpack guy. I love the NWO Wolfpack. Um, in WWF, I, I was a DX guy. I love the, I love DX. Um, and uh, so, and, and I agree with them that I do think pro wrestling died in 2001 when the company was, when WCW is bought by Vince because you saw this change in just this global thing that Vince bought and just turned it into something different that a lot of people liked. I granted, I watched it. I watched it from an inception of when he bought it from 2001 
up until 2013 to where I'm like, you know what? I need to venture out and see other products. You know, uh, I'm not going to hate the WWE. I I'm just not satisfied with what they're showing me right now. So let me check out other products. And that's what I did, you know, with Lucha Underground. Uh, I started watching more Impact um, and uh, all that stuff, you know. And then AEW launched. Uh, I got to it late because I started watching it during the COVID era in 2020. Um, so I got to the game late. But I was enjoying some of what they were doing, you know, with uh, some of the cinematic stuff they were doing, you know. And I flipped over and I watched WWE. They were doing the same thing. Uh, but I, I still watched, you know, I flipped back to WWE, AEW. <laughs> I just prefer AEW stuff over WWE. I don't hate WWE at all. I still follow a little bit of it right now. Yeah. You know, I still follow a lot of storylines to it. I still follow a lot of rest. I still have a lot of favorite wrestlers over in WWE right now. Um, and like right now, I think the Miz is doing some of his best work in pro wrestling. Um, and it is a shame that guy has not had a world title since 2011. Um, that guy has put people over um, for the better of the business. He understands it. Uh, you know, I I enjoy, um, uh, uh, obviously, I'm a Cody mark. I freaking love Cody. You know, I loved it when he debuted as babyface Cody to protect his father from Randy. <laughs> you know, like, I like Cody Rhodes. Like, I think he's a great generational talent, even for his age, you know, and for, for, for that, you know. Um and, but at the same time, I think that's the only thing that's still sticking with me to WWE is because I'm a fan of Cody and I want to see what he does over there, you know, but I still like the Miz. I like what the Miz does, uh, you know, the AEW for me, it's like, you know what? I like some of it, but some of it is starting to like t wear on me. I'm like, dude, I, I can't keep seeing the same thing every week. It's the yeah. same thing on WWE. You know, I, uh, it's it's for me wwe is the same same thing every monday night raw judgment day versus someone and judgment day finds a way to win and cheat or you know it's judgment day versus cody j kevin and sammy or something like that some iteration part of, of those iteration yeah yeah and then same with aew it's always you know jericho and well no no it's Jer i love kenny omega but it's every week is the same thing omega versus don Callis. You know, it's like, dude, we've been writing this story for a while. Since Don turned on Omega, we've been writing it. Like, we can end it. We don't have to now introduce other people to it. That idea was great in early ECW. Uh, when, uh, you know, when Raven and Tommy Dreamer starting intertwining yeah. people into their story. You know, like, that was my favorite thing. Um, and I saw it before, but I do want to answer Mr. Unknown's question because this is the second time he's asked this um, in the in my our opinion. Yeah. I thought um, this would the be a biggest, good the show. Yes, biggest missed opportunity in WCW went to WWE. Uh, I, I will say the biggest missed opportunity uh, that went from WCW to WWE, and I love how he says you can't say Austin Foley, Taker, Triple H. Um, I think the biggest missed opportunity – in the WWE that came from WCW, again, was Sting. Um, I think they could have done so much more with Sting. But again, that's on Sting's basis. Um, that's he just They didn't have anything creative for him, and he just did not want to work for the company. Um, it, he didn't want to work for the company until they told him, hey, why don't you come here? We'll, we'll 
we'll induct you, we'll give you a WrestleMania match and all this stuff. It still wasn't satisfying to me for that. You know, it's like, that's why I say I enjoyed more of his TNA work than some of his work in WWE because WWE dropped the ball with Sting when they brought him over. And that was just, again, another cash cow for Vince and the company for Sting's name. You know, everybody had one ideal match for Sting and it never, never came to be. Him versus Taker. Yeah. That was the one match everybody wanted to see. Any pro wrestling fan, a lot of pro wrestling fans, myself included, wanted to see that match. You know, because you had these two dark characters from both show from both promotions. You know, Sting was the guy up in the rafters imitating the crow, Brandon Lee. Uh, and then you had someone like the dead man, the Undertaker, who can come back to life and you know, rest in peace. Everybody wanted to see that match. And it never came to be because they took too long to figure it out. And Sting just didn't want to work for Vince. So in the end, I think Vince, with that situation, was his own enemy. uh, Because he couldn't come up with something great like a Sting versus a Taker. Um, I think that would have been a great match. You didn't even have to do it at WrestleMania. Uh, You could have done it at a SummerSlam. You know, I guarantee you Taker would have put Sting over at a SummerSlam. You know, but the fact of the matter is Vince's ego of the whole last, I'm going to crush my enemy one last time by putting Hunter over Sting at WrestleMania 31. For me, I was like, well, all right, that's Vince's way of saying WCW is officially dead. (laughs) Um, And and that's what's sad about it, man. Sting was a big missed opportunity when he came over. Yeah. All right. What what about you, Lane? Um, I think for me, like I think the biggest missed opportunity, at least WCW had, um, to be honest with you, I'm going to go with Lionheart, Chris Jericho. I think they had something there, and he was trying to get himself over in WCW, especially with the Goldberg angle. Um, I am a huge Jericho fan, but he was trying to get a huge match with Goldberg, even though he knew he was going to lose, but he was trying so hard um, to get back to that point. And but they just weren't giving him his cup of tea. He was just a cruiserweight to them. And then for Vince to say, hey, like, let's let's make you the undisputed champion. Like, even though he had to work his way back up in WWF, he still, I think, was one of the biggest, you know, issues with WCW. I feel like they could have capitalized on Jericho. They could have gave him personality. And to see where he went throughout his whole career with, <clears throat> with WWE to New Japan to – AEW, I feel like WCW was his low point in his career. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, with Chris Jericho, I mean, he he could have been world champion in WCW had they taken the chance because the guys, especially in his prime, um, uh, uh, he could have been something in WCW. That's why I look back on that Dark Side of the Ring episode about Bash at the Beach had yeah. Vince Russo chosen Chris Jericho over Booker T. But he was so adamant about Booker T, which I I could see. Booker T was also a fantastic person to put over, and the crowd loved it. You know, the crowd was very happy to see Booker T go over at the end of the night, um, and I think he deserved it. It just sucks that he was put over as champion, like, at the tail end of their their existing uh, before WWE bought him, you know? And and obviously they're like, well, we don't want any remnant. It goes back to he didn't want any memory of uh, NWA, I don't want any memory of WCW. So we're going to wipe out that WCW world title and just call it the heavyweight championship. Yeah. But 
WWE also made gave Booker the time too. You know, I feel like Booker T was both good and like both good in both companies. Um, I know he, I mean, he was a lot bigger in WWE, but I feel like that's where in WWE where they gave him the ball. It's like, hey, like we want you to be a bigger than life character with a spinner Rooney. Don't forget about King Booker. And I feel like I feel like both companies did a good job with um, with Booker T. I feel like I feel like you had Harlem Heat where he came in as a, one of the greatest tag teams, and then he ended WCW as world champion, even though it was kind of a, a kind of a down note. So, you know, Mister Unknown, I, I think that was a good. I think that solved your question. Um, he also says that um, thought Vader was a missed opportunity as well. I think. Vader, oh, absolutely, big absolutely. Time. Big time missed opportunity. Love me some big man wrestling, and Vader was was up there for me, man. I loved watching Big Van Vader. Him and Bam Bam, I feel like they didn't get as much time to shine, and I feel like they could have been like a huge WWE World Champion. I feel like they could have, but I still think big man of wrestling. We're still having a hard time with with booking them. This goes for both companies. You know, really, Brock Lesnar was like last really big man that was a world champion that had a memorable reign. So I feel like big man of wrestling, that needs to be booked better on no matter what company you're part of. This is a, this is not me digging at WWE or AEW, both of them, and even New Japan. Dude, New Japan, they, they don't know how to book big wrestlers anymore. No, no, they even don't. Like they... Cobbs are, they're still having a hard time with Cobbs or Lance Archer. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big Jeff Cobb fan. I I saw him wrestle at a um, AAW show in Chicago years back, and I was like, dude, I like this guy. You know, I th- this guy's very impressive to me. And it was then that I figured out that he was uh, in Lucha Underground, and someone's like mentioned that to me at the show. They're like, you know, he was in Lucha Underground. I go, wait, I watched that. Who? Who was he, Lucha? And they told me, and I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I said, I thought I recognized his finisher somewhere. It's the same finisher he used in Lucha. So, yeah. Well, all right, guys. Well, that's going to do it tonight on the episode of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And uh, before we hop off the air, we're going to do a quick little uh, speed round here. And this, go- this goes for people in the comment section and for my favorite podcast host that's that is my favorite tag team partner adam uh my question for everybody down below even if you're commenting after this episode's been finished recording um what what wrestler should have gotten the chance to be a star in wwe but vince just never saw it but others around the world do and or did For me, man, uh, I, I I think of it and because I I always go back and when people ask me, like I have this question a lot sometimes by wrestling fans, friends, um, and I'm big on mid-card wrestlers that should be main event guys. Uh, there's two names that come to my mind. Um, and the first one is crazy because I think it's because of his brother, but Owen Hart. Yep. Uh, should have been more of a star than he was. He had some good feuds. His his match with Brett was really good. Uh, his you know his his time in the Nation of Domination when he was a honorary member was so good. Um, I, I think he could have been a star uh, a little more. 
um, had he not fallen under the uh, Blue Blazer gimmick and the tragic death yeah. at Over the Edge um, that, in my opinion, could have been avoided. Um, I think he's the one mid-card guy I wish would have won a world title because I think he would have done a wonderful job holding it and told a lot of good stories with it. Um, and then the second guy I'll go with that really should have shined as a wrestler, but I think Vince didn't see him as that. He saw him more as like a gimmicky kind of guy. Um, was uh, um, oh my god, I just lost his name. It was just right there too. Uh oh, uh yeah, now I got it. Uh, uh Shelton Benjamin. Yes. Um. Uh, I, I was thinking of it because I was thinking of all the people in team uh, the that uh, team angle thing, you know. And it was, I was like, Angle, Charlie Haas, Shelton. So Shelton Benjamin, I think Shelton Benjamin could have been something great. Uh, he had great athleticism. Uh, he had he had worked with a great group with Charlie Haas and Kurt Angle. He he had he had the it. He had the athleticism. He had the personality, you know. But they always saw him as a mid card star. You know, they always saw him, oh, you're an intercontinental champion or a U.S. champion or a tag champion. You're never going to be a world champion. I think he could have been. Um, I honestly think he could have done great work with Kurt for that WWE title. Could you imagine, you know, Shelton being the one being like, dude, I think I can beat you. I think I can beat you. There's a story right there. You know, you're seeing it now um, – uh, you actually see it now with with, with the bloodline storyline, with Jay and Jay Uso saying, "I can beat Roman." You know, I'm that good. I'm main event Jay. You know, you kind of see it now with Jay, with Roman, um, that they were in a group. But he, I feel like I can beat you and be a world champion. Uh, and it's sad because it's weird too because of the because of that like. For a while, you look at certain groups and you see certain members and you're like, that person could have been like a great single star, but it never happened because that just wasn't in Vince's plan. It's sad. And, but if Vince doesn't see it that way, unfortunately, you're not going to be, you know, I mean, you're not going to be the guy or be anywhere near the top of the card. Uh, sorry, did I, I think I actually mean myself again. You did. Uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, so I think I think you're right on that one, um, especially with Shelton. I think Shelton, him and Charlie Haas should have been bigger deals. Even Charlie Haas now, like I watch, I watched uh, Charlie Haas a couple of years ago, um, back at Hard to Kill, um, and it was the night after Hard to Kill, and it went up against Josh Alexander, and it was just ah, uh, one of the best classic wrestling matches that should be on been on a bigger stage. Um, Mike, uh, his is the British Bulldog. Very underrated for sure. I wish he would have got more time. Um, oh, yeah, never, absolutely. He never won the championship, right? No, he never did. But his match at, uh, I think it was SummerSlam in the UK against Brett, was probably one of the best matches I've ever watched as a kid. It was probably, uh, it, I think it was for the European Wait. title, but it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. Okay, I'm going to go watch that. I'll probably watch it tomorrow night. Um, Ethan, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we appreciate the love. Ethan says, hillbilly Jim. Because ain't nobody messing with the country, boy. 
No messing with a country boy, a country boy, yeah. a country boy. He was very consistent. Country boy. <laughs> no, but, no, but looking back, too, like he was very consistent in the ring. And, and he's the like, nicest guy you'll ever meet. Yeah. I've met Hillbilly Jim, and he's the nicest guy oh, you'll man. ever meet. I'm, I'll add him to my bucket list then. I'll add him to my wrestling bucket he's list. He's really – I met him. It was him and uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Christy Hemi. We met them both at a signing in my, in my old hometown back up north. <laughs> So, well, I'll have to meet him for sure. Um, I think for me, of course, I said his name in the intro because I'm a huge Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona fan, but I really think Zack Ryder was wasted. You know, he was hot. I just you don't necessarily have to give him the full on championship, but he should have been up there. Because if you go back and listen to like play like some of the old video games with Zack Ryder, dude, commentating was putting him over on that game heavily. Okay. Crowds wearing the shirts, you know, he was the biggest merchandise seller, even beat John Cena at points. So it's crazy to think that you had a big ticket person and then you let him just fall through the cracks. And now mm-hmm. he's making more money on the independent scene and winning championships left and right, but he's also building up the next generation of wrestlers. So and that's all that's what it's all about is this right here, the money, money. right here in Vince's yes. <laughs> I couldn't choose which background I wanted, so I was like, I'm gonna go with the Vince sniffing yeah. the money for tonight's episode. Vince sniffing the money is perfect. It's very it's very perfect yeah. and underlining for tonight's episode. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, with you, <clears throat> uh since you know, I'm gonna do actually a newer star uh for my last pick, since you did too. Um I really think that uh, Jonah, I feel like he should be a bigger thing in WWE right now. Yeah, uh, the one they call uh, Bronson Reed. Yeah, Bronson. Like Bronson Reed's had a couple like good matches, squash matches, but I haven't really seen him do anything incredible inside of a WWE ring. Right. At least that's not an NXT ring. So, no, I think- yeah, his NXT days were phenomenal. The black and gold. Yeah. I enjoyed some of his NXT stuff. So that's, uh, yeah, like I, said, I feel like he should be up there. Um, so, yeah, that's going to do it for Talking Elite tonight. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody for coming out and watching us um, do our show tonight. It was a lot of fun. Adam, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you back on the show. Um, not just myself, Misty, but, of course, all the listeners. Um, Talking Elite is whole again. Um, so cannot wait to see where we grow the show from here. Yeah, no, and I'm I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back talking with you on Talking yeah. Lead. This this is some of my favorite stuff to do is talking Me with too. you. Um, but also just, you know, get to seeing you, Connor, Mr. Jacobs, uh, seeing some of the new guys, seeing some of the, you know, ca- Canadian guys, you know, t- uh, Tanks, Tanks in a uh, little video there. That I loved it. Yeah. I loved his take on everything. Um, meeting Mark last night for the first time, the, uh, a new member, you know. It's, yeah. it's so great to be part of a podcast where you just get to – Pardon my friend, you just get to shoot the shit on pro wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, you get people in the comments. And again, you know, we thank everybody in the comments. You know, Ethan, we thank you, Mike. Uh, we thank you, Mr. Unknown. Um, and everybody else in the comments for, you know, commenting and, and sharing your thoughts with us. Um, that's just my favorite thing is just talking with fellow pro wrestling people um, and just sharing our thoughts on things. Well, I appreciate everybody for coming out and giving us so much love every week. Um, this has been one of my favorite series that we've done on Talking Elite. Um, we probably will do one in the future on another topic. 
but we're going to wait for just a little bit longer because this one took a lot of our energy. Um, so the next few weeks are going to be just smaller one-off episodes um, and discussions. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, Connor uh, will be back uh, next week. Uh, Connor right now is not feeling um, up to um, up to par. He's uh, feeling a little sick today. Uh, so we want to thank him for helping us get everything set up. Um, he was able to get the video done on time. So shout out to our dear friend, Connor. Um, we Hopefully he'll be okay and ready to go for next week. Yeah, uh, shout out to Connor uh, for everything. Uh, he's been the glue that holds this whole podcast together. Um, so we thank him very much and also just bringing all of us together as fans um, and basically just – just yeah. basically fathering all of us. Uh, he's our Vincent. He's our Vincent Kennedy McMahon on this podcast. Yeah. Very true. He's our ringleader, our producer. He is the founder. Um, so without him, we wouldn't have this opportunity uh, with our wonderful listeners and, of course, with each other. So it's been a fun night, guys. Uh, we appreciate everybody. Uh, next week, Connor just sent me a message. We do have an interview scheduled for next Wednesday. Um, Jimmy Swinger is going to be on the show uh, an yeah. hour before Dynamite at 6 Central. So make sure you come out and um, come out, ask your questions. Come join the conversation. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to try to make it for that one, but I will be in Dallas that night, which is about 45 minutes from home. So it'll take two hours with traffic. So I'll try to make it on. Um, and if not, it's going to be a great interview. I'm so excited for the show to have another wrestler. So it's going to be awesome. Um, I cannot believe like two back to back. So <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Hope you guys are liking the content we're putting out. Uh, make sure you guys like, share, and subscribe down below here on YouTube. Uh, make sure you follow us on Spotify because we're still putting our old episodes back up on there. So if you want to go back and listen to us while you're at work or in the car, you know, it's, you know, go back, give us some love. Uh, make sure you check out us on X. We post all of our upcoming announcements at All Elite Zone 1. We post interviews um, that are coming up, questions, uh, happy birthdays. Um, we want to be more um, with our fan base, so make sure you guys uh, follow us there as well because I will usually be in the comment section and having a great time with everybody listening. So, yeah, it's we got some fun shows planned this week. Uh, we got a Rampage uh, Watch Along coming up tomorrow night, uh, Talking Elite Canada on Saturday and then uh, next week's episode, unfortunately, will not be recorded live. I had somebody come up where I have to be um, out of class on Thursday night for four hours, so I will not be here um, live. But we will have a show ready for you guys next week. Um, we are going back to the gimmick shakeup. So we will do WWE this time. So we're each going to do five WWE stars on how we would book them, how we would change their gimmick. And hopefully we can make a good change in the WWE, just like we did with AEW and Maria Shavir. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Got some fun ideas coming up for Talking Elite. I think Adam's got a few as well. So it's going to be a lot of uh, fun. We got some new people coming on the show as well. Uh, we're trying to grow the family. So make sure you give our new brothers and sisters some love. If, you know, when you do see them come on, make sure you want them to stay around. Give them love. Give them hearts. You know. Make sure that you treat them well, like you give us all love and respect each week. Um, Adam and Mr. Fluffy, is there anything you guys want to add before we go? Uh, not really, but uh, Sachi here is also a big fan of the show, too. So he came to join me towards the end, sir. 
We're done. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. I want to talk about Vince. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk more. I want to talk more. Well, guys, you got a cat running tonight. Um, we'd like to thank you guys all for watching. And if there's nothing left to be said, Adam, please say your famous phrase to sign us up. And off. I'm going to do it in honor of our topic tonight. <clears throat> and as always, good night.